3. Thank you, Lord. Picking up where we left off. Appreciate Barry preaching last week. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Everybody was at, we were at the right place at the right time. And uh, y'all were at the right place at the right time. Thank you, Jesus. First John chapter 3. We, we uh, nearly completed First John 3 week before last, but uh, we did not get down to a very, very important passage in First John 3. And uh, so in verse 20, beginning in verse 20, it says, well, let's start in 19. It says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Well, this is a very important passage of Scripture. It gives us some insight and some help into things that we have to know. Uh, First of all, in verse 19, uh, talks about how we're of the truth and, uh, that, and we shall um, assure our hearts before God. That actually, it means, I think if, it means, uh, it may be in your margin this way, persuade, that we persuade our hearts before Him. And uh, that's really interesting that we have to persuade our heart, that it's, that it's up to us to persuade our heart. And you think about that, how do we persuade our heart? How do we go about persuading our own heart? Now, we need to think of, first of all, about what is, what is the heart? And I have come to the conclusion myself, and I have, I have found that, you know, I, this is actually the way I, I've heard it taught different ways, but this is the most truth as far as I believe the scripture lines up to it. That when the Bible talks about your heart, it is talking about that actually within your heart is contained both your spirit and your soul. Or at least, if it's not completely contained within the heart, at least your heart touches both your soul and your spirit. Because I have found in the Word of God that there are times when the Bible uses the word heart that it's for sure talking about your spirit. Like, for instance, we know in Corinthians it talks about, Paul talks about the hidden man of the heart. And we know that would be talking about our spirit. But in Hebrews, he talks about brethren. He says, brethren, beware lest a evil heart of unbelief spring up in you. Well, we know that our spirit could not ever be evil once it's born again. So where would an evil heart of unbelief have to be? That would have to be in our soul. And so it's you, you, we talked about rightly dividing the word of truth. We've talked about that before. And so that word heart is one of the places where we have to, by unction of the Holy Spirit and by the context in which it is used, discern whether he's talking about what part of the heart he's talking about. Is he talking about our soul? Is he talking about our spirit? And you know, we even go over to Mark eleven twenty three 23, when it talks about that when we believe for something, if we do not doubt in our heart. And a, a lot of people say, and this is, I believe this to be true, you cannot doubt in your spirit. There's no way to doubt in your spirit. But we could doubt with our soul, couldn't we? And uh, hallelujah. So even concerning that, and, and this, this scripture, this verse 19 talks about us persuading our heart. Well, I don't think our spirit man needs persuading, but we do definitely know that our heart, that our soul does have to be persuaded. We know in Romans 12 too, it says, uh, it talks about that we have to uh, uh, renew our mind that we have to renew our mind. Another word, and so what is renewing of the mind? Well, what it is, it's, it's, it's taking our mind from one place and persuading it of a truth in another place. And how do we go about that persuasion of our heart so that our heart is agreeing with our spirit? Well, we would go about it with the Word of God. And I'll tell you, and you understand this too, that persuasion comes from repetition. 
You know, it, it, you can just apply that to anything. I mean, you can apply it to training your dog. You can persuade that dog to do a certain thing, but you're going to have to repeatedly, not just one time, but repeatedly and repeatedly persuade that dog, use persuasive techniques to persuade that dog to do a certain thing. And the same is with our children, not to compare children to dogs. I'm not trying to do that. But I am saying that if we're going to persuade them to do right, hallelujah, then we use techniques, different parents use different techniques to persuade them in a certain direction. Well, our heart has to be persuaded. And as we grow up and be an adult, we have to learn to persuade our own heart. We have to learn, you know, you have to learn to talk to yourself and tell yourself what you're going to do. You can't just let your flesh run wild and do anything it thinks of and anything it wants to do. Because if you do, pastor will be visiting you every Tuesday night down there in the county jail. And, and you know, those men confess to those very things that, you know, I was just crazy. I was just doing crazy things. They were just letting their flesh run wild do anything it wanted to do. But when it got wrapped down to it, that's, that's not really who they wanted to be. But they didn't persuade their own hearts. And so we have to persuade our own heart. And then in um, uh, verse 20, he talks about, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now, uh, <clears throat> praise God. Thank you, Jesus. God is greater than our heart. The Word of God is greater than our heart. And that's how we get in, we persuade our heart to do, to believe, to line up with God's Word, to, to, to believe and not doubt. We persuade ourselves with the Word of God. How do you, per, how do you persuade yourself to believe in healing? Because you, you're fed a steady diet of doubt and unbelief. But we persuade ourselves. Well, we do it by repeatedly and repetitively going to the Word of God and persuading ourselves by the Word of God. And he says, he says there, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. And then he goes on to say in verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. It is so necessary that you have confidence towards God. You must have confidence. If you don't have confidence towards God, you're going to be very hesitant to go before Him and ask for things. You're going to come in a while, oh God, I know I don't deserve this. I don't, I'm not worried of this. That's not having confidence towards God. And God wants us to come with confidence uh, uh, towards Him. And the only way we can come with confidence is to get our mind renewed and persuade our heart to, to have that confidence before Him. We persuade our heart based on truth, uh, not based on a lie. Um, <clears throat> praise God. It is very necessary that we live our lives free from condemnation if our heart condemn us not. Uh, and in order to live free from condemnation, you have to live Christ-like. If you're out there in sin all the time, your heart is condemning you, and it's condemning you for a good reason, folks. <laughs> Hallelujah. Your heart saying, quit doing this. Get out of this. This is not going to pay good. This is not going to be for your best. Hallelujah. And so your heart's telling you these things. But I have noticed also, and this is what we need to get to, that many times... That after you have gone to God, you realized you did wrong, and you went to God and you asked Him to forgive you, your heart, your soul, will still keep condemning you. And that's where you have to take charge, and you have to say, no, because of the Word of God... Based on the Word of God, not based on how I feel. I may feel like, oh, I feel so awful I said that. I feel so awful I did that. Even though I know God's forgiven me, I just feel awful about it. And I just, you know, I'm fretting over it still. Well, then I'm not going to have any confidence towards God. And so what I have to do is I have to persuade my own heart. And I have to tell my own heart. Now, heart, we've dealt with this according to 1 John 1, 9. God has forgiven me. Now heart, you're not going to condemn me. Devil, you're not going to condemn me. And my own heart's not going to condemn me. Hallelujah. Make me feel bad about myself. You know, there's people that are carrying around something they did 30 years ago. 
But they know God's forgiven them, but they just cannot get back that feeling. They don't have any feeling of worthiness. And of course, we can't go by our feelings, but they are going to have to take charge of that. We have to take charge of that because... And we have to, to, to begin to persuade our own hearts by the Word of God that we, are not, that we are righteous, we are not unrighteous, we've been cleansed from all unrighteousness, okay? So um, does that make any sense to y'all? <laughs> Hallelujah. So we have to resist the condemnation after we have, you know, repented for sin and we renew our mind until we are righteousness conscious, if you walk around sin conscious all the time, oh, I'm a sinner. I know I mess up. I mess up every day. Uh, we're, we're all just sinful people. We're sinners saved by grace. We're all, we're all, we all, you just, everybody sins. We, you know, you know, if you, but that's not God, God, you know, in a, in a sense, it's true. We, there are weaknesses in all of us, but God's not wanting us to walk around thinking about, unrighteousness. He's wanting us to walk around thinking about, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. He wants us to think that way because when we think that way, we'll have confidence towards God and it's going to change everything about how we live. And you know, if you think unrighteousness, then you're going to go fulfill unrighteousness because as a man thinks in his heart, heart, so is he. But if you think righteous, it actually pulls you away from sin because I don't want to do anything to disturb that confidence that I have towards God. So I really have a, a, a an awareness of this that I like to keep my confidence towards God intact. And that, that should be all of our quest. So verse 22, he said, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Uh, this would be keep his commandments. In other words, his written word and the voice of the spirit doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. So we resolve that conflict and we work out our own salvation because, and why, why does this help us receive from him? But the help, reason it helped, we don't get our prayers answered by works. So he's not talking a works mentality here. He's not saying, well, now if you'll keep his commandments and you'll, you know, he's not saying those th that way. He's saying if you will maintain your righteousness and your righteousness conscious and your confidence before God, you'll get what you ask of him. You have confidence to pray when you have a righteousness conscious. Amen? Okay, let's go to 1 John chapter 4. Now, 1 John, and for those of you that are new with us, we've been studying the whole book of 1 John. And 1 John was written by the Apostle John, the same person that wrote the book of Revelation. And he, he is very repetitive here to get several things across to us. One of the things he tries to get across to us over and over is that we, when we sin, we don't sin in our spirit. We've gone over this for several weeks. That we, when we sin, in fact, he says that he, he that is born of God does not sin. Well, what does that be talking about? Because I know, I know some Christians and that I know for sure they're born of God, but I've seen them sin and I've known that myself to do that too. So uh, how, So what could he be talking about? He's talking about our spirit man. So over and over he repeats that. He Over and over he talks about how proof that we're born again, proof that we know God is love. And so I'm not going to go back and repeat verses. He repeats it in every chapter. I'm not going to repeat those verses, but we're going to just go to the places where we need to find some things tonight in 1 John. Hallelujah. And so go to 1 John 4 verse 1. Hallelujah. And go down, we're going to go down through verse 5. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is in this world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That was as far as we were going. I'm sorry. So number one, in verse one, he tells us not to believe every spirit, but to try the spirits. 
And that word try means examine and discern. So we're not to believe every person that just says anything. Oh, I believe that. I believe that. You know, I, you know the, the Buddhists say this. I believe that. Well, you know, the, 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 you know we're, not, we're not to believe every spirit. Every spirit being, every, you know, we're not to believe everything, but we are to try. We are to examine and we are to discern. So how do we try spirit? How do we try spirit? If we hear a message preached, we hear somebody talking on TV, how do we try that spirit to know if it be of God? Well, the first way we try it is by the Word of God. And we, if we hear something that we know, see, we, that puts us back to the position where we've got to know something about the Word of God. Because if you don't know anything about the Word of God, or maybe all you know is John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Well, if you don't know something about the Word of God, how are you going to know if you hear something that doesn't line up with the Word of God? Hallelujah. So the first way we have to, to try the spirits is to, by the Word of God, see what, if what they say is lining up with the Word of God. And then we have to... Um, also, we, we, know, that we, we, we uh, know them by their fruit, the Word of God says. We can, we, we can look at people and see what kind of fruit it's bearing, and we can know if they are, uh, if it, it's not likely that what they're preaching or what they're saying is God if it's not bearing fruit in their own lives. And then we know by the inward witness, we can try the spirits. We've been given the Holy Ghost on the inside of us to give us a, I like to say it, a check. Have you ever been around somebody and you had a check? Well, now, it's not always because they're a false prophet, but sometimes God just wants to steer you around people that are not going to be a blessing in the end to you. People that are not going to um, <clears throat> take you the right direction. People that are going to waste time. People that are going to, um, how do I say it? Um, that, that your relationship with them in the end will be painful or unfruitful. Hallelujah. God will like to steer you around that, and so he'll give you a check in the Spirit. But I believe that we we need to learn to follow the Spirit. I know I talked to a lady the other day, and uh, uh, she said, I have a check in my spirit about this person. I didn't know who she was talking about, but she told me. And I says, don't override your spirit, because I've learned that the hard way. I know that when we were in Texas, uh, I, one time there was this uh, member of our church, and uh, and they actually lived across the street from us, right across the street. And uh, something in me was like, you know, and you know, it's always it seems like that a lot of times the person God gives you a check about looks really good on the outside. I mean, she'd bring money over and say, now I'm supposed to sow this to y'all. She'd just come over to our house and we were in the garage. And, and, you know, I know Pastor was believing for a filing cabinet. She brought money over and I'm supposed to put this in on your filing. I mean, she was just doing all the right things, but something was going, mm, 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 mm. Something was checking me. But I was too young. I mean, I just like, I didn't know. But I just want to tell you from experience, don't override it. Because every time I've had a check in my spirit, which hadn't been often, really, I think just about three times that I've had a check, every time it's proved to be right. My spirit is more reliable than my head. Hallelujah. My head and my spirit is more reliable and the Holy Spirit in me is more reliable than what a person's actions are. Because, see, the devil doesn't come at you dressed in a red suit with a pitchfork. Otherwise, you could go, you're the devil, and I am not coming around you. Hallelujah. Now, uh, you know, and sometimes good people come at us, and because of their personality or something, we get a little, we think, oh, y'all, you're kind of strange. But some of the, I tell you something, one of our best church members in West Texas, and we still communicate with these people. But the first time this woman came to church, she scared me. She scared me. She really did. She was so strange. But, you know, my heart didn't give me a check. Hallelujah. And I remember she stayed a few weeks, and, and then uh, her mother got sick, and she had to move back to Nebraska. And I thought, good. Good, because you're strange. <laughs> Hallelujah. But then she, her mother actually ended up dying, and she moved back to Seminole and came to church. And I'm like, oh, 
you know, this woman is strange. She's different. And you know what? Guess what? She's still a little strange. She's still a little different. I mean, you can ask Eric. She's, 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 a, she's just cut from a, she walks to the beat of a different drummer than most of society. Yeah, she is. Uh, but I tell you what, she is, she's really one of the most precious Christians that I have ever known or met. So our head is unreliable. Our heart is reliable because our, you know, we're not to, we're, the Bible says there, it says try their spirits, not their soul. Don't try their personality. You're not supposed to try a preacher's personality or try a person's personality. You're not supposed to try their intellect. You're supposed to try their spirits. Hallelujah. And see if they be of God. And so we have to go by that inward witness, that check in our heart. Or if you have no check, you can feel uh, uh, pretty safe in, in just continuing on. And then we go also by the mouth of two or three witnesses. This is where a lot of people mess up because, you know, this is where teenagers mess up. Listen, if mama says, that's not the girl for you, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that's not the girl for you. I guarantee it. It is an absolute positive. Hallelujah. And, you know, it's like one man said to me. He said, uh, he was talking about his sister. And he said uh, his sister was got involved with, not, not in a bad way, I'm not meaning that bad, but dating someone that wasn't the right person for her. And this man said to me, he said, she may, do, she may go ahead and marry me. She may even make it work, but it's still not God's highest and best. And you know, just because you make it work, doesn't make it mean it was God's highest and best for you. And I don't know, I cannot tell you how many men I have seen with a call of God on their life. And you know, I don't know, I think God's putting something in me to just recognize it. I can kind of spot it. Even when their life is not really lining up to it, I can go, that man's called. He's got a call on his life. I cannot tell you how many men I've seen with a call of God on their life, and they couldn't fulfill the call of God on their life because of the woman they had, the woman they married. And she might not even be a bad woman. I'm not talking about being bad. I'm talking about not being the one for you and limiting you and holding you back. Hallelujah. And, that, and, and, and I'm sure there are women in the very same position. Well, I know there is because I know of one that you, you can't... See, God knows the future. And what looks good now may not look so great 10 years from now. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So, we have to go by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Hallelujah. And those witnesses should be reliable people that are people of prayer, people of, and you know, it's so easy. I know this doesn't seem fair sometimes, but it's so easy for somebody else. You say, well, I know the will of God for myself better than anybody else does. Probably not. It's so much easier from the outside looking in where the emotions aren't involved to say, you know, that is not the will of God. I can feel it in my spirit. And I'm going through something like that right now with a person I know from another town. It's like she is interested in this man and I know he's not the one and I have never laid eyes on him. But I know. I know. Hallelujah. So when that's why it's wise and you know, but it takes a very smart person. And, oh man, I tell you, it's hard to lay down the soul and the flesh and go for the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why my mother told me, she said, Debbie, when I was a teenager, she said, Debbie, don't ever date a boy you wouldn't want to marry. Don't ever date him. And she explained to me why. Why, mother? Because if you date him, you might fall in love with him, even though you didn't want to marry him. That's not the type of man you would want to marry. And then you would have to break your own heart to follow your own convictions. Do y'all get that? She told me that. Well, <laughs> hallelujah. 
Praise God. Now, one time, I, this so one time this guy in my class, hallelujah, his name was Daryl. I'll tell pastor who it was. He'll know him. Hallelujah. He asked me on a date. And you know, I thought of that. That came in my heart and that came in my mind. And I just looked at him and I thought, you know, I know your family. Of course, we lived in a town of 2,500 people, so you pretty much knew everything. I said, I, I just thought, that's not the family I want to be in. So there's no sense me going out on the first date. This would just waste most of our time because I wouldn't want to be in that family. Hallelujah. Praise God. So I ended up with the right one. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> we have to try and examine the spirits. Verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And that is the spirit of, this is that spirit of Antichrist. Well, um, I had to pray about this and I had to seek God on it because I'm like, Lord, what are you talking about? Because, um, um, you know, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it's like lots of people that aren't of God will confess that Jesus was the prophet, that Jesus came. And so I, I had, I, so I got out all my Bibles, and that's a bunch. I think about 15 versions. And I read this verse in every version till the Holy Ghost gave me light on what he was talking about. He is talking about, he's, what, I finally found my answer in my revelation in the Weiss translation. And in the Weiss translation, it used the word incarnate. And I thought, that's it. That's what he's talking about. What he's saying is that those people that say, Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. That's what he's saying. He's not just saying if they'll confess that Jesus was a person and he was born. No, he's talking about those people that will confess that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. He's the incarnate one. Hallelujah. Then every person that will confess that is of God. But there are a lot of people, there's a lot of ch churches, there's a lot of religions that will confess that Jesus was a person, even that he was a good person, even that he was a good teacher, even that he was a prophet. But they won't say, Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. And that's where the separating line is here. And any person that will not say that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh is the spirit, has that spirit of Antichrist. They're not, I'm not saying they are the Antichrist. I'm saying that is that same spirit of Antichrist. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we know when we see somebody that says something like that, will not say, hallelujah. We even have, uh, you know, because sometimes we want to elect Christian, we want to elect Christian um, uh, politicians, we, you know, leaders, government leaders. And a lot of, you know, they'll say anything to get elected. Hallelujah. They'd say their grandmother was a no good if that was what it took to get elected, they'd say it. You know they would. Hallelujah. And, but so it's, it's, it's what are they saying about Jesus? Or are they just talking religion in general terms? Well, my faith means a lot to me. Well, that tells me nothing. Hallelujah. You could be have, talking about your faith in, hallelujah, popcorn means a lot. To, you know, I really have faith that that stuff's good. No. <laughs> that doesn't tell us anything. Well, my faith in the man upstairs, my, even my faith in God. Hallelujah. We, you know, uh, I'm not going to go into this, but there's organizations that in order to get into them, secret organizations that say, you have to say this. You have to say, I believe in, the, in a supreme being. That doesn't say nothing. Now, when I was young and naive, I thought, oh, they're talking about God. But they're not talking about God. Hallelujah. Listen, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, the incarnate one, the one born of a virgin, and you're not willing to say it, you are of the spirit of Antichrist. Hallelujah. And he, all of those, so that puts a lot of religions over there into an Antichrist uh, spirit. 
praise God. He said there we're to try the spirits uh, because many false prophets, not just a few false prophets, but many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, you know, even... Uh, Muslim is a false religion. It is a antichrist religion. Islam and Muslim. There's many of them. And in many nations, there's many, 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 many of them. So there are many false prophets gone out into the world. Many. They are false prophets, are pretenders, people that are pretending to be something they are not. They are religious imposters. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, and then in verse where we read there, where we read that every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, in the message it says, confesseth openly. I like that. Confesseth openly. So it's, it, you know, if you're not going to be open about Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then you are of that spirit of Antichrist. If, you, if you're not going to be willing to say it openly. And Pastor's been talking about for several weeks now about the name of Jesus and how hard that is for people to say the name of Jesus. I've noticed that it really makes people uncomfortable when you start talking Jesus. You can say, well, praise the Lord. That's not so bad. But if you say, well, praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Boy, you can scatter them in Walmart. And if you ever want to just clear the lines out, just start lifting up the name of Jesus. Of course, that, that might be just a misuse of that. So I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to misuse the name of Jesus. Just to, we've threatened in restaurants before when the line was long just to start picking and speaking in tongues. Just clear the place out. I guarantee you they'd scatter like quite Hallelujah. But I wouldn't want to, to I wouldn't want to grieve the Holy Spirit by misusing that. Okay. Uh, and praise God, the verse 4. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. All of these antichrist spirits that are, you know, hallelujah. Everything we're talking about, all these false prophets, all these false religions. Well, greater is he that is in us. Just little old you. I don't care if 10,000 of them come at you with an antichrist spirit. Just one in you. Just you and one more. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we need to remember that and we need to, hallelujah, build ourselves, persuade ourselves of the fact that greater is he that is in me. And then guess what? I won't have any fear. Praise God. And I won't be afraid of him. Glory to God. So now let's look down in, uh, praise God, 17. Let's go to 7, 7 and 8, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That last part. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He that loveth not. Well, what is love? Well, love is doing good to your neighbor. Love is not, uh, doing, uh, not hurting anyone. That's love. Love, you know, and, and that includes, uh, you know, my mother used to tell me now, uh, so I'll, since we got the youth in here tonight, it seems like God has taken me a little bit back to my youth. Hallelujah. I was a youth one time, actually. Hallelujah. I wasn't as much of a youth as some people. I, I, was, I had a little falcon with three speeds, and I don't think I ever got it over 40 miles an hour. My grandfather said, Debbie, I'm going to give you five gallons of gas every month and you he gave me a credit card you charge charge five gallons every month well you know he I you think that's a big gift but I think it was like 39 cents a gallon so it wasn't all that big a expense for him but you know I never used the whole five gallons in a month now that's how my, I was kind of a grown and kind of a little old granny when I when I or something even when I was a youth but hallelujah I was I was there but my mother used to tell me and she told me some good things. She said, now, Debbie, if a boy tells you he loves you, but all he wants is, you know, what he wants, that's not love. That's not love. Because cause, cause love doesn't bring hurt or harm or to anyone. Hallelujah. Love wants the best for you. Love's not trying to get mine. Love's wanting to bless you. Hallelujah. And so she, she warned me of that. Hallelujah. And it prayed off in my, in my life. Um, 
<clears throat> Praise God. Verse 17 and 18. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. I want to go back up to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. So everybody say that. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So hallelujah, Verse, love is with us, and as he is, so are we in this world. Now, sometimes we read that verse and we talk about, well, who we are in Christ. And we talk about the fact that we can do miracles like he did because as he is, so are we in this world. And all of that is true. But you know, as he was in love, so are we in this world too. We're to be led by love. He was led by love. He, we're, to be, we're to be walking in love. And if all the body of Christ would get to be lit, being led by love, it would turn, I tell you, a lot of things would turn out good and right. If all, of, uh, if all the people in uh, authority were walk, would, would be led by love, wouldn't that be something? Hallelujah. If all the teachers at the school would be led by love, and if all the students... Hallelujah. At the school would be led by love. So what we have is a lot of people being led by lust, usually. I, my power, what I want, what I, you know, and, and uh, those kind of things. And it always kind of, it just messes up things. So as he is, so are we in this world. Love is very bold. He said, if you have this love in you, you'll be very bold in the day of judgment. So love is very bold. Love will cause us to step out of our comfort zone, which is what it caused Jesus to do, and to help people. And we're all wrestling with this to some degree or another. When we go out on the streets, we see people and we go, do I witness to them? Do I not? Well, when we're full of this love, we're very bold. In um, <clears throat> Praise God. In verse, let's move on. Let me back up to verse 9. I didn't get this. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So God manifested His love to us. That's what He's saying. And that's what He asked us to do is we are called to manifest His love. As he is, so are we in this world. He manifested his love by sending Jesus. It wasn't just talk. God so loved the world. He actually came through and did something about it. And if we're truly walking in the love of God and walking as He is, we're going to be manifesting love. We're going to be manifesting love at home. What would love do? Well, if your love would not let mom do all the work at home. Hallelujah. That's what love would do. Praise God. That's true. Love wouldn't let dad do all the work. Love wouldn't lay on the couch while dad mows the lawn. If you're able-bodied, hallelujah. Amen. So we, all the time, instead of, you know, you got that little saying that went around a few years ago, what would Jesus do? We really could say, what would love do about every situation? Well, what would love do here? And you know, sometimes love's very tough. You think, well, would, would love would never uh, tell your son he had to leave the house. Yeah, love would. Love would say, no, you can't, you can't do that and live here. Love would say that. Hallelujah. Pray, don't ever put yourselves in that position, young people. Hallelujah. Because <laughs> love, sometimes love has to be tough. Sometimes love has to confront. Sometimes a wife has to move out because of love. I was reading about it in Believer's Voice of Victory today. This woman, their pastor's in Prattville, Alabama now. They're on the very front of Believer's Voice of Victory. And, and, and love moved to Arizona because he's on drugs. Till he'd go get help. Love had to get out of the way. Amen. So sometimes you have to do tough things because of love. But what would love do? Glory. Now let's look in chapter 5, verse 3. 
We're going to just grab the things that are the most important out of these chapters. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Let me tell everybody here something. The Bible, that word says that his commandments are not grievous. That means weighty, burdensome, or heavy. Did you know it is not hard to keep the commandments of God? Oh, it's so, some people think, oh, it's so hard to keep the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's not hard to keep the Ten Commandments. If it's hard to keep the Ten Commandments, number one, I'd say, better see if you're born again. Because your born-again spirit wants to keep the commandments of God. Hallelujah. And, and then also, you, if it's being hard to keep the commandments, you're probably hanging around with the wrong company that is causing your flesh to, 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 to be more in power than your spirit is. If you hang around with the wrong crowd, hallelujah, the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. Hallelujah. And so it's not grievous. It's not hard Why? to, to keep his commandments. And then uh, there we're in, uh, uh, and he goes on to say, for whatsoever is born of God. See, if you're born of God, it's not hard to keep his commandments. Hallelujah. Praise God. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Glory to God. These are important uh, things in these scriptures. Uh, verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath the Son hath life. That really says in the Greek, He that hath the Son hath the life. Not just, you know, well, he breathes. No, he has the life. The life of God. It's actually the Zoe life, the Aeonius Zoe. He that hath the Son hath the Aeonius Zoe, the life as God has it. You have the very, if you're born again, you have the very same life in you as, uh, as, uh, as uh, Jesus. Hallelujah. You have that same life in you. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you're not born again, you don't have any life in you. Did you know on your inward man, all you have is death if you don't have the Son of God? If you've not received Jesus Christ and confessed Him as your Lord, you have death on the inside of you. And all you're going to be able to bring forth is sin and death. Hallelujah. And then you'll end up at the end of your life when all is said and done, you'll have to go to hell just because, not because God wanted to send you, but because you wouldn't receive Jesus and he is the life and he is the only way to life and there's no other way under heaven that men may be saved except, except through Jesus Christ and confessing him as Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Praise God. Verse 12, are we, did I already read that? Yeah, I did, didn't I? And verse, uh, I want to read on, and these things, in verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know, say, know. No. Say, that I may know that I may know that I have eternal life, or that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So he said, I write these in things into you because I want you to know you have eternal life. I don't want, if you are sitting there wondering if you have eternal life and you're not for sure, you can know. You can know for sure. And you're supposed to know for sure. Now, there are whole denominations that say you can't know till you get to heaven. But they didn't read 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Because he said, I wrote these things that ye may know. And they live their whole life and they don't know. And they're, they, they're trying to get there by good works. And also in conjunction with believing in Jesus. They do confess Jesus is the Son of God, but then they add works to it to get you to heaven. And you can't... Jesus plus anything equals nothing. You cannot add anything to getting saved except receive Jesus Christ as your Savior or you're going to wind up with nothing. 
And so I was listening today uh, about uh, Billy Brim was talking about, uh, I think this was yesterday's broadcast. She was talking about um, um, people that had been to heaven and talking about uh, Jesse Duplantis when he went and he, you know, God caught him up. He was in his, his hotel room. God caught him up in a, uh, he said it looked like a ski tram thing. And, the, and she's been talking all week about how people get escorted to heaven. Some people go in a chariot. Some people get, Jesus comes after them if they have completely given their life to God. Uh, uh, G, and she talked about how Jesus came after Oral Roberts, who just passed and went to heaven in December, that Jesus himself came after him. And while I can tell you later how they know that. But anyway, she was talking about Jesse going and said, some people, nobody just has to find their way to heaven. You know, I'm, well, I just left my body. Now what do I do? No, you get an escort. You either get angelic escort or you get put in a kind of a ski tram thing glassed in box you know and uh and uh and that's how jesse went only there's no wires and so he's going up in this ski tram thing and he sees other trams going beside him and when he got there and they get off the tram people are so excited and so happy heaven's so good and so this one man got off and he said i didn't know if i was going to make it and he fell on the ground and was just praising god he was so happy that he made it hallelujah and Brother Hagen always said that some people are going to be surprised that they don't make it. Some people are going to be surprised that they did make it. And uh, some people are going to be surprised that you made it. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of denominations will be real surprised that we made it. You know what I'm saying? Because they think there's the only ones that are going. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And, 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 um, I, well, I don't have time to tell you all that. But anyway, let me move on. Let's move on down to verse uh, 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That word confidence always also means boldness that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Now, this is a very important scripture because what it implies is when you ask things that aren't according to His will, He doesn't hear you. That doesn't mean he doesn't hear the noise. It means he just don't pay any attention to it. I mean, he can hear, and I'm sure he tunes out. But if you ask anything according to his will, uh, he hears us. So uh, what is his will? Well, to know his will, we would have to know the word of God. That's what's spelled out. We would have to know everything that Jesus bought and paid for us in redemption. What did he buy for us when he shed his blood? Because all of that is his will. Well, we know he bought, uh, he bought us uh, uh, to be redeemed from our sins, to be forgiven, to be washed in the blood. We, he bought for us to go to heaven. We know that he bought for us with his very blood by the stripes that he bore. He bought healing for us. So you don't have to ask. You don't, if grandma's sick, you don't have to ask. I wonder if it's God's will to heal her. Because he, he, it is his will. To heal every person. Does that mean every person's going to get healed? No, because it depends on what they believe. Hallelujah. And a lot of people believe, well, I don't, I believe it's my time to go, or I believe it's, you know, whatever. So they believe something that's not according to the Word of God. We know that He redeemed us from poverty because it says that Jesus became poor, that we might be made rich. So is it God's will for you to prosper? Yes. Hallelujah. It is. So we don't have to even, we know then if we go to him and we ask for provision that, that he's not going to say, no, 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 you can't have. I, I, it's just not my will for you to be able to pay that bill this month. He'll never say that. He'll never say that. Okay, so we have boldness to come to him, confidence when we pray anything according to his will. So... Uh, <clears throat> Anything that's not in, what if it's not specifically in the Word of God? Like, okay, I want this red car, but I don't know if it's God's will. Hallelujah. Well, then you have to go back to the principles of the Word. If it doesn't say it specifically in the Word, then I guarantee you that there are some principles in the Word that will guide you in your decision. Amen? 
So when we, if we know, so, so verse 15, let's look at that one. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So if we pray and we pray something that we absolutely know is his will, then we absolutely know that he says yes. That is so good. If we know, we, if we, and so sometimes you got to find out what his will is. Because some things that aren't in his word, he will tell you that they are his will. He's done this to me many times. Uh, one time recently, we were, when we were first going to move to Tuscaloosa, we were driving along, going, we were headed to Texas to go minister in a church. And, uh, and we were listening to a CD, just fellowshipping with the Lord. And, and the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, spoke to me and he said, I want to give you and we knew we were going to move to Tuscaloosa at that time. And, but he said to me, he said, I want to give you a new house. And so I said, well, praise God. So I know what house to look for. It's got to be brand new because that's what God said. He told me his will. Now he'll do the same thing with you. And the more you fellowship with him, the more you'll know his will on the incidental things like that. He's told me when it was time to trade cars several times. He said, it's time to believe me for a new car. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And, and so him and I get an agreement over it. And I tell you what, it's never failed to come to pass. Amen. So uh, we can fellowship with him and find out uh, what, what his will is in different areas. Uh, praise God. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Verse 16. I want to talk about this for a few minutes, and it's a good place because this gives me an opportunity to talk about something that we refer to a lot around here. It says, If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Now, there is a lot of stuff loaded into one little verse, and that verse 16 there. And he's talking about when we see our brother sin, but maybe our brother just hadn't seen it yet. They don't know they're going the wrong way. Uh, or maybe they're just being a little stubborn, and they're just wanting their own way. And... Uh, we, it says here that, and this is very unusual to us in a way, that we can pray to God and God will give him life. Until, and, and, and we can pray for him and God will give him life. Well, that means that we can pray and even though this brother is in sin, we can pray and God will protect him by our prayers until such time as they wake up and get back on track. God will give them life. God will keep the curse. Because see, when you sin, it invites the curse to come upon you. You've opened the door and uh, when you're living in sin or when you're sinning. And so we can pray if, this, if the sin is not a sin unto death. We can pray and God will help this person based on our prayers if the sin is not a sin unto death. Which brings us to the question then, well, uh, which sins, what sin is the sin unto death? And a lot of people uh, worry about, have I committed the sin unto death? The devil likes to whip people and say, well, God won't even have you back because you've committed the sin unto death. And we need to know about the sin unto death. And we've, got about, we've got about 10 minutes that we can cover it in that time. Um, you go, if you want to find out about the sin unto death, you have to go over to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 4, it says, uh, <clears throat> it fully describes here how someone could sin a sin that was a sin that would bring death and you couldn't even pray for them. It says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And so in this book of Hebrews here in this passage, it gives us five qualifications 
before you can even sin the sin unto death. And you don't have to just meet one of them. You have to meet all five before you even qualify to sin the sin unto death. Number one is you have to have been enlightened. That word enlightened is talking about revelation, illumination. It actually means to make to see. So in other words, you would have had to have a thorough understanding of the ways of God. So this is not talking somebody about somebody that prayed and asked Jesus to come in their heart, but they've never, they really don't know the Word. They don't know much anything about the Word. No, this person is enlightened. I would say that probably most people in most churches couldn't even sin this sin. There might be a few, there might be some people, might be quite a few in this church that could sin this sin. But most churches don't even, don't even, they don't even have anybody in the church that could sin it because uh, of all these qualifications we're going to go through. So enlightened, they have been made to see. They have a thorough understanding of redemption and what happened to them and, 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 and Jesus and the revelation of Jesus and what happened at the cross. And so you see the point. And then the number two thing is they have to have tasted the, a heavenly gift. And that word tasted means experienced. They have to experience the heavenly gift. They have, and that would be Jesus. They have had to experience salvation and what it's like to walk with Jesus and to know Jesus. And then number three, they have to be a partaker of the Holy Ghost. That means a partner, a participant, it actually means. It, it would, you would have to be baptized in the Holy Ghost to actually be a partaker and a participant with the Holy Spirit. If you didn't even have a revelation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you couldn't even sin this sin. Because you, you don't even know enough to... Hallelujah. But once you've partaken of the Holy Ghost and participated in, the, in the, 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 this, this, this anointing, this glory of the Holy Spirit, number four, you would have had to taste, tasted, and remember that means experienced, the good Word of God. You would have to understand the Word and have gotten that this, this thing is good. And this thing is mighty. And this thing is powerful. And then number five, you have to have tasted and experienced the powers of the world to come. I looked this up. It actually means miracle, power, mighty works. You would have to have experienced the gift of the, gifts of the Spirit. And then it says in verse six, if, you have, if all of those qualifications are met, and then and you still fall away from Christ. And that's not even talking about backsliding. That word is not backslide. That's talking apostatize. Apostatize means to revolt, to renounce, to abandon. And if, if after experiencing those five things, if you were to renounce Jesus and renounce the Holy Ghost and say, I don't want him in my life, even though he's already been there. I want him gone from my life then it says you cannot renew this person again to repentance. And, and you know what that said in the Greek? It said you cannot reverse the decision. You can't get saved twice. You can't get saved twice. Because once you're saved, baptized, once you're saved and sealed by the Holy Ghost, He's not coming out until you command Him to get out and you'd have to be so full of, you'd have to, you would have had to experience all these five things. And then with a knowledge, not being insane, not being with full knowledge of what you're doing, you would have to say, I, won't, I don't want anything more to do with Jesus. I renounce Him. I don't want Him in my life. I want Him to go. Then at that point, your spirit would die again and you could never be renewed again. Until re you, can't get, you, you never get it again. Well, that tells us, you know, but we shouldn't even play around with these things. Just throwing words around. You know, there's been people that their little daughter died. And oh, they got mad at God. And they lifted their fist in the air and they cursed God. They didn't send the sin unto death. Although they shouldn't have done it. And they did sin. And they do need to repent. But they didn't send the sin unto death. You have to want Jesus out of your life. And there are people that have done this. Hallelujah. So this is a warning to us. Praise God. But I've been needing to talk about that because sometimes it comes up in other places where we talk about uh, this sin. 
And so I'm going to go back to 1 John. We're going to close with this. Verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now there it goes again. We're born of God. That means our spirits are born again. We don't sin in our spirit. So no matter what you did, you sinned in the flesh. Yes, you sinned with your body. You sinned with your mind. But you didn't sin in your spirit because whatever is born of God sinneth not. But then he gives us a big warning here. He that is begotten of God keepeth himself and that wicked one toucheth him not. Now it's our responsibility to keep ourselves in our body and in our soul. And if we keep ourselves, then we're also, and we don't, and we don't sin. We don't go out and sin because we're keeping ourselves. And we don't say, well, you know, I'm born again. I can go sin if I want to. No, that'd be stupid. Why? Because the Bible says that wicked one will be able to touch you. That wicked one, he can, you get, you get yourself over in sin. You get, even get yourself out of the will of God. You're, you're, you're not where God can protect you fully. The closer you walk into the will of God, the more God's going to be able to protect you. Hallelujah. The more you just let your mouth go and say any old thing, make any old confession, the more that's going to be an open door for the devil. You got to keep yourself. You got to keep your mouth. You got to keep yourself out of sin. The Bible says that no temptation has overcome us, that, we're, that God doesn't make a way of escape. I tell you, I don't care who's after you, what girl, what boy is after you, God's going to make a way of escape for you so you don't have to sin. Hallelujah. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God and say, well, God, I just couldn't help it. Or I know these people are too young for this, but we're not. That, that guy Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. Because the devil don't have enough power to make you do it. He might tempt you, but he can't make you. Hallelujah. So keep yourselves so that wicked one won't touch you. Amen.